right, well, let's turn together to Ephesians chapter 6, sort of. Uh, actually, this morning I want for us to uh, be looking at uh, really the last verse of chapter 5 and just the first verse of chapter 6. We're transitioning now from talking about husbands and wives into talking about children and fathers or children and parents, and we'll uh, spend a little bit of time on that this morning. One of the problems with going through a book of the Bible this slowly, let's say this leisurely, uh, is that we forget that it's just one piece. It's, it's all one letter. I know you know it's one letter, but we don't think of it as one letter. So often we get the idea that it's just a series of, here's a verse with a principle in it. Next week, here's a verse with a principle in it. Next week, here's a verse with a principle in it. And we forget that it was inspired to be written and then read and really studied as all one piece. So when we get to these verses, we are still embracing everything we've already talked about in the book of Ephesians. For example, a lot of times people will say, and there is some truth to it, not entirely, but there is some truth to it, that Paul writes his letters beginning with a section on theology, talking about God, the truth of the gospel, uh, those kinds of things. Who is Jesus? Who's the Holy Spirit? And after a section on theology, talking about teaching, then he goes into practical application in the last half of his letters. Ephesians lends itself to that kind of understanding. And the problem is that we look at the second half of it as though it can be cut off from the first half. And you might hear people say, oh, I just like the practical sections of the letters of Paul. I, I like when he gets to application. That's real life. But in point of fact, you cannot have the application section unless you have the theology section that's being applied to life. Paul did not write a little book called To the Ephesians as a kind of general address to whomever might show up in the city of Ephesus, pagan, Christian, whatever, and he was just uh, giving principles and ideas, applications, sort of like a first century TED talk or something. No, Paul was writing to the church, to the collection of believers in the city of Ephesus who had experienced the grace of God in Christ Jesus, whose lives were being transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit. And Paul writes about what does that mean? What is it that you have learned? And how does that pan out in your life? So when we're talking about husbands and wives, and then next week especially about children and, and parents or children and fathers, we need to keep in mind that before we got to chapter 6, we had to go through five other chapters in which we talked about the glory of God, especially in chapter 1, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit put the glory of God's grace in Christ Jesus on display. God in choosing us, Christ in dying for us, the Holy Spirit in sealing us and guaranteeing our salvation in us. And that beginning point is the, is the glory of God, is who God is and what he has done. And then that moves to the next step, which is how does that become real in our lives? 
If you want a verse for that, chapter 2, verses 8, 9, 10. By grace we are saved. By grace you are saved. It is God's work, it's God's mercy, it's God's love that saves us. So by grace you are saved through faith. It's appropriated when we invest our lives in the truth of the gospel. We give our lives to Christ. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. And even that faith is a gift of God. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. But we are His workmanship. We are what God is doing. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so the connection of who God is and the glory of His grace to our lives comes by, saved by grace through faith for God's work in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Then that becomes real in our lives as we have been seeing as we look at the various applications. Where Paul says, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of Christ. God is glorious. His glory comes into our lives by faith, by grace through faith. And then as a result of that, we walk in a manner worthy of Christ, in a manner that manifests the glory of God in Christ Jesus. So that's the running start. And then when we get to the chapter 5 in the practical parts, we find that it's still laced with theology. Paul says, wives, submit uh, to your husbands as to what? The Lord. Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church, gave himself for her. In other words, even this relationship of husband and wife that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, even that is founded and based on the theological teaching of the first part of the letter. So that's what I wanted us to keep in mind today, that it's all of one piece, that you don't get to chapter 5 and 6 until first you go through chapters 1 through 4, and that will lead you from the glory of God to grace through faith to walking in a manner worthy of Christ. So that's our running start. The two verses I want to have in front of us this morning are verse 33 of chapter 5 and verse 1 of chapter 6. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Let's bow together. Gracious Father, I pray that you would open our minds to the work and the ministry of your Holy Spirit, that you would find us to be teachable, changeable, and correctable. Father, that your Holy Spirit would awaken within us an understanding of those things in our lives that need to be more fully surrendered to you, and that we would also come to a greater realization of how you provide for us all things in Christ so that in our homes, in our relationships, in our families, Christ can be glorified because of the gift of your Spirit to us, whereby we are guided and led to worship and adore him in all things. So, Father, let your Holy Spirit pour out upon us. Just be with every person in this room, that our minds would be open to your truth and your work. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Very quickly, let me acknowledge that as we've been looking at this passage on husbands and wives, uh, that, uh, ladies, I'm very much aware of the fact that men have done all the talking. Um, what's that? That's not funny. It wasn't even meant to be funny. 
But, uh, but we have. We've, we've done all the talking. We've taken our life in our hands, and we've, we've talked about the submission of the wives. And uh, I want to thank Randy for doing a marvelous job last week and, and helping us understand what, uh, what it means to love your wife the way Christ uh, loved the church. And uh, So I'm, I'm keenly aware that it's been sort of a one-sided discussion and that it's been filtered through the male experience. So uh, I don't have enough nerve quite to ask one of the ladies to come up and deliver her version of things. <laughs> But I would like to talk this morning about what a godly wife might say to her husband. Now, this is based on um, conversations I've had with wives, sometimes in counseling settings. It's things I've heard them say. Uh, Most importantly, I have researched this and run it by Debbie, and she says I'm okay. (laughs) So that's that's how it's going to be. But, But remember that, again, the context is a godly wife and a godly husband. That's, that's the aiming point. None of us are there quite, but these are steps along the way to get from where we are to where God wants us to be. So I'd like for us just to uh, think a, a few moments about what a godly wife might say to her husband. I think the first thing a godly wife would say to her husband is that I like it when you spend more time with God. There's something that pleases me when I know you've spent time with the Father. And not just religion. I'm not asking you to go to church more or to do more, although that might be in the cards as well. But what I'm really talking about is a deepening, growing personal relationship with the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. I like it when you have more time with God. Now, the problem, guys, is that most of us hear that and we're thinking, Moses, we're going up on the mountain, we'll talk to God, mano y mano, you know, face to face, and and then we'll come down off the mountain and we'll carry the law with us, and then we'll start breaking the law over the heads of the people in our family, telling them what to do. We have now that's not biblical, by the way. That's not Moses. But we, we sort of distort the story of Moses to think, well, if you want me to spend more time with God, I'm all for that. We'll just We'll just, you know, lay it on you with this law thing because after all, I've been with God. Guys, when she asks you to spend more time with God, what she means is be more like Jesus in your time with the Father. For Jesus would go up into the mountain or to a lonely, deserted place, and there he would pray. And when he came down off the mountain, when he had spent time in prayer, he saw people like sheep without a shepherd, And it tore him up. And his heart was moved with compassion. When Jesus came down from a time with God, he served people. And he saw their needs. And he showed them the glory of the Father. When Jesus came back from one prayer session, he gathered around him some disciples that he might train and instruct and give them a better understanding of what this kingdom of God thing is all about, that he might give them the foundation that when he was raised from the dead, they might truly understand what God was all about in the cross and the resurrection. When he came back from time with the Father, he came back teaching and and preaching and showing and discipling and caring for these closest to him that they might know the Father better. When Jesus was through praying, and one of the things he prayed was, Father, this 
human nature, on a very human level, I don't want to go through this. On a very human level, I don't want to suffer this way. All that you've poured into this cup that's, that, that is the cross, I, I prefer that cup be taken from me. But Father, not my will, but your will be done. And when Jesus was through spending time with the Father, he went to the cross and he died for a lost humanity. Paul, in this section of, of Ephesians, in fact, says that we are to love our wives, guys, the way Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That when you spend more time with the Father, you understand more what it means that she might submit, but you have to die. And that there's no room for any of that pettiness and childish immaturity that so often we inflict on our wives. See, a godly wife will say, I wish you would spend more time with God. And what she means by that is that she desperately needs someone to be the spiritual safeguard of the home. She needs someone who will stand for the home before the world. She needs someone who's so close to the Father that when all the onslaughts of the world and the attacks of life and and all those things that, that come our way, that there will be someone there who will guide the family spiritually. You see, marriage is about coming together. That's the meaning of the word. Marriage is two becoming one and becoming one physically and emotionally and spiritually, which, by the way, is the most important. See, when your wife says, I wish you would spend more time with the Father, she understands that she needs someone who's so in tune with the Father that the things of man just don't break through. You know, one of, one of the things Jesus taught us, he said that if you're worshiping God, if you're spending time with God, and you remember that you have something against someone else or they have something against you. In other words, there's a, there's a fractured relationship in your life. Jesus said what you need to do is leave your sacrifice at the altar and you go to that person and you reconcile. You work out the problem. You, you don't let it fester. You don't make it an object where Satan can be pouring hatred into your life. He said when you're spending time with the Father, remember you better be reconciled with others. And a godly husband, when he has spent time with the father, sometimes what he'll do is he said, I said, Father, can you, can you give me just a minute? I need to go tell my wife I'm sorry. I need to go tell my wife that I didn't listen to her just now. I need to go tell my wife that I reacted without thinking. I need to go tell my wife that I was immature just then. And there might be reasons for it, but Father, I have got to go tell my wife that I love her. Now, when you have a godly husband, ladies, he understands that to spend time with God means that he cannot bear a grudge. And he can't keep that list of things that are wrong with you. And he can't keep talking about all the ways that you're a disappointment. He can't treat you as though you were... Uh, some inconsequential member of his life or part of his life. When he spends time with the Father, he becomes a spiritual guard over the home, and the first thing guarded is his heart. And he's in a position then to relate to you the way God demands, the way Christ did, who died for his bride. 
when you're a godly husband, when, and this is what, what your wife is crying out for, when you're a godly hus- husband, then you become a spiritual companion to her. Someone who walks with her all along life's journey. Now, I understand uh, a little bit about the falling in love experience. Um, it, it really hasn't changed over the last half a century. But it is, you know, you, you meet somebody and they're, they're wonderful and you just want to marry them. You can't imagine your life without them. And I understand that. But girls, what will happen so often is you'll meet some guy and he's wonderful and he's cool and he's great and everybody admires you because you got him and, and he just makes you feel so wonderful, but he's not a believer. He doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. And you'll tell your, your mom and your dad, you'll tell your friends, but, but he's a good guy. And he is. He's a wonderful guy and he's caring and compassionate and he'll be a good provider, good father to the children. But here's what happens when he is not a believer. The day will come when insurmountable problems just face you in life. It might be a financial difficulty. It might be a, a, you know, a, a job change, it, you know, just a, a, an illness. It, 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 thousand and one things can just attack you in your relationship. And a godly husband is one who will remind you to have faith in the will of God. A godly husband will remind you that those things are going down the tubes now and those things are falling apart. Though it seems like unmitigated disaster is coming our way, the Father in heaven knows what he is doing and he controls all things. And the day will come when we will join together and we will say, he doeth all things well. We don't see it now and it hurts now and it it feels broken now, but God is greater than this problem we're facing. Ladies, you will need a man who will remind you of faith. The day will come in marriage. It comes to all marriages when the shadow of death falls over the home. It might be your parents. It might be the death of a child. And what a godly woman needs is a husband who will say, this isn't the end. It seems all over to us now. And we can't see around the corner. We can't see any light. We don't see an end to this. But because our Father is in heaven, we have hope. We have a hope that transcends the grave. And we have a hope that looks past death. And we have a hope that allows us to keep pressing on because of our Father in heaven. Girls, I'll tell you when you'll feel it the most, when your husband is not a believer. It'll be the day when your baby is in the emergency room. And there are countless doctors attending to her. And you don't know what's wrong, and they don't know what's wrong. All you know is something's dreadfully wrong. In that moment, You will desperately need a husband who will pray with you. Who will take you to the throne of God's grace. You will need someone to pray with you. I can't tell you how sad it is when a 
Christian wife goes through that experience spiritually alone. So a godly wife will say, I, I wish you would spend more time with God. I, I, I wish you would spend more time with the Father the way Jesus did because it will transform the marriage. By the way, she also wants that for you guys because that is the only way you'll be satisfied and fulfilled. That is the best thing your wife could hope for in your life is that you would grow closer to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now the second thing I think she would say is something on the order of, I wish you would spend more time with me. Now, I, I get it. Schedules are tough. I know that, you know, two career families and, and you know, it, it's hard to find the time. It's, it's hard to create the moments where you can just sit and be together. But guys, your wife desperately needs that. She's longing for conversation, not critique. Not lecture, but listening and conversation where you are responding to one another. You did that when you were dating. Everybody does it when they're dating. What happens? You get busy. You get distracted. You start letting other things clutter in. You know, in the book of Malachi, uh, the Lord is speaking to the children of Israel through the prophet Malachi. And uh, one of the things he does is he speaks to the priests. Now, this is always a little bit personal to me because priests are the uh, paid religious people. They earn their living being religious, and I can really identify with that. But uh, God is talking to the priests, and he says to them through Malachi, he says, look, your worship services are wonderful. The music is fantastic. The prayers are great. The sacrifices are, are perfect. You don't have any dead air time. Everything is just, just moving, moving. There's excitement. There's glory. There's meaning. This is a wonderful, wonderful worship services that you guys are putting together. But let me tell you something. I'm not listening. And the reason I'm not listening is this. He says to the priest, he says, you have left the wife of your youth. You've left the wife of your youth. Some of them, no doubt, had, had, had literally left the wife of their youth. They have divorced her. They put her away. They'd gone after uh, other wives. They'd gotten uh, somebody else to marry in their home. God said, that, that wasn't the plan. You know, don't come telling me how great I am if you're not going to listen to what I tell you about your home. But there are a lot of ways to leave the wife of your youth, guys. One of them is to just start ignoring her. One of them is to leave her out. One of them is to decide that she's more of a nuisance than she is a blessing. One of them is to decide that she talks too much or she fill in the blank too much. Because when you were young and when you were first married, when you had that first love, you could listen to her for hours. And you did. I didn't make this up, but repent and remember from whence you have fallen and do the things you did at first. That's how to regain your first love. She says, I want you to spend more time with me because she needs to know that you're, she, she is still number one in your heart, that she still comes first, that of all the human beings on the face of the planet, you'd rather spend time with her than anybody else. I wish you would spend more time with me, is what she would say. 
And the third thing, and we'll close with this, is I believe a godly wife would say, I wish you would spend more time with the children. I wish you would spend more time with the kids. Because your wife, the mother of your children, has a desperate need to know that the father of her children loves them and cares about them and wants to be with them. Years ago, Debbie and I lived in Pinefield and um, out back, it was a small yard, but there was just barely room to put up a, a basketball hoop. I'm not going to say a court because, uh, um, well, we, we played on the grass until we wore out the grass, and instead of replanting the grass, we just called it the lane, and uh, that was the three-second spot. But, um, and I remember putting that, that, uh, that thing in. I, I mean, I wanted a basketball hoop because I, I'm a natural athlete. <laughs> Did you see me laughing? <laughs> We're not laughing together on this one. But anyway, I remember digging the hole. How hard is it to dig a hole? They said, just dig a hole. And so I dug the hole, and we started out, and it kept getting smaller at the bottom. You know how that is? Because when you start out, I'm going to dig the perfect hole, and then after a while, who cares? <laughs> it's got to be underground. Yeah. Pour it in the concrete, set the post, put up the basket. It was, it was, it was kind of 10 feet up, and it was... It was sort of level and all that. And so it, it was fun to play basketball and that. And it was one of the great experiences of life because you know, David and I uh, would go out there and we'd play basketball and we'd play one-on-one. -on -one. And the neat thing about it was I could take him, you know. Well, he was seven years old. I mean, this, this is like really, you know, I finally found a human being I could beat at basketball. He was seven years old. You know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, and of course, he had to be, you have to build character. So I, I made sure he lost but I remember the day, I remember the day that um, I, I went to drive the basket or something like that, and David was guarding me. And the, and the, and the way you, you, you work this is, you know, you just sort of mm, him out of the way, and you just go to the basket, and then you trash talk him for a little bit. And I remember the day, it's clear in my mind, and I remember which side of the body it was. I went into him, and he stopped me dead cold. <laughs> I've called him sir ever since. That's right. You notice we don't play one-on-one -on -one anymore. You know? Just wasn't any fun. But, uh, but what Debbie told me later was that she used to watch us play out the window. And she said how much it meant to her. You know when you hear some kid next door bouncing the ball, bouncing the ball, bounce, shoot, bounce, shoot, bounce, 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 shoot, you know, and it bothers you and you, you almost want to go over and complain they're making too much noise for a godly wife when her husband is playing basketball with their son every bounce says I love you every bounce says I love your son every bounce said I'm going to be here for the two of you a godly wife needs her husband father of her children. And I understand about blended marriages and, and, and all that, but apply it in your own situation. She needs to know that he loves her children and spends time with them. It's just vitally, vitally important to her. I think that's why when, when Paul is, is talking through Ephesians, he says, okay guys, this is the way it is. I want you to love your wife the way you love yourself. Love your wife the way Christ loved the church gave himself for her, died for her. Because when you do that, she'll have a much easier time 
of respecting you and submitting her life to who you are. And oh, by the way, then children obey your parents, but the next thing it says is, and fathers, don't provoke your kids to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You see how all that fits together. I think those are the things that a godly wife would say. I wish you would spend more time with God, more time with me, and more time with the children. Now, guys, I'm going to ask you to do something. And uh, this is something I've already done. Um, and that is, I want you to get a three-by-five card. And I want you to hand it to your wife, where appropriate. You know, if you're not married, don't do that. But hand it to your wife and say, Honey, put down anything you want, and I will do it. Whatever it is, I will do it. Now, ladies, look, here's what happened. I did this with Debbie. I said, whatever it is, whatever it is, you just tell me what it is and I will do it. She told me what it was and I said, I will do it for a week. So, guys, at least for a week, okay? But just give her that card. Say, whatever it is, you put that one thing down that, that, that you need from me. And ladies, don't blow it. You know, don't put down, put your socks in the hamper or take out the trash or something like that. You know, make it worthwhile, okay? So, but just give her that card and ask her to write one thing down, 25 words or less. We don't need an epistle here. Just, just write it down. And then because you love her like crazy, do your dead level best under the power of the Holy Spirit to make her happy because that's what it means to love your wife the way Christ loved the church let's bow together in prayer Father thank you for giving us the wherewithal the wisdom, the guidance the incentive the power, the strength, the courage Father thank you for your Holy Spirit making us able to do things we never imagined and Father, I lift up to you today the homes and the families, the marriages represented in this room. I pray that you would bless each one, not, not merely materially, although certainly, Lord, but Father, to bless spiritually, to draw husbands and wives together, to lay aside the hurts of the past, and to truly come together the way you designed the marriage to be, that you would be honored and you would be glorified 